Love Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson, from the state of Florida, Courtney Crothers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, you can give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. You will find this show on page one of that website. And we're just so grateful for that privilege. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts or my guests on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can call Stevie B's Mid Production at the Carolina Studio at 910 Now, again, this program is brought to you by the members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell, as they break into our listeners, the bread of life. And also my co-host, Glenn McMillian, will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts. They may continue to sow the seed 
of the kingdom. While we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you'll continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For us in Christ's name, we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment, my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, he serves with the Newark Church of Christ there in Newark, New Jersey. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out that I'll be posing to my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Steve Corder, he's the evangelist with the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next one should be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Come on, everybody. Yeah. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. Good good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of the Church of Christ. From wherever you are, you can definitely agree, God is still in the blessing business. Say amen. If you can, God has blessed us through so much. He has provided us all of our needs. You woke up this morning by his love, mercy, and grace. You were able to go about your daily responsibilities because first God gave you a reasonable portion of health and strength. God blessed you to be able to have a job to go to, food on your tables, clothing on your back. God is so good, he can't help himself because he's so good. And as I quote one of my brother, our brothers in Christ in the preaching, in the preaching pre, as a preaching brother, brother uh, Dr. Jerry Houston said, God is, gets, better, gets gooder and gooder all the time. And he said, that's bad English, but it's good theology. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And we're going to park at verses 1 two, and three. Again, that's the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses one to three. And the Bible reads, and God spake all these words, saying, I am, I like that, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house a bondage. Thou shalt have no gods before me. If that's in your copy of God's holy and divine word, the Bible, say amen. My topic this evening is entitled, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. Your arms are too short to box with God. We live in a world that is continuously becoming more decaying in morality than ever before. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly corrupt. We live in a world that has become more, becoming more in showing hatred against other ethnic people. We live in a world that is trying to destroy decency, respect, love, kindness, and morality. And what is right and what was right, what is right is not wrong. They say that then, that this is, this is how it was then, but it's different now. I remember a time when a woman went out with her, a man would open the door for the woman, hold it out for her, take her hand, 
and gently lift her out the car. But today, you got these so-called men out here that won't even open your door. There was a time when man used to walk on the curbside of the sidewalk, showing courtesy toward the woman. Now I see that man walk on the inside part of the sidewalk. There used to be a time when a man would take his responsibility and pay for the meal of the lady. But now these jackleg so-called men will eat up all the food and expect the woman to take care of the bill. We're living in some strange times in our home today. Be a time when a man started started a family, he stayed and supported that family. He went to work to support the family. He worked two or three jobs to support the family. He brought his paycheck back home to support the family. He assisted in their nurturing and raising of the children. He worked with his wife and teamed up in teaching the children right from wrong. He taught them that God existed. He lived the example of being a spiritual head in the household. He didn't hit his wife. Say amen when you can, brothers. He did not curse his wife out. He did not lock his wife in the basement of the house as a form of punishment and made her eat dog food. He did not bring her out in public and disrespect her in public. He did none of these things. He didn't even abandon his family when the going got rough. And you have these little boys who think they're all, they're a man. At the time, they'll start smelling themselves, saying they're all grown, living in a house with mama and daddy, having some, because they get angry because they have them do some laundry, some cook. They have the food cooked for them. They are clothes are bought. They lay up and watch cable TV, cat, uh, satellite TV all day and all night and wind up having sex before they turn 18, get a girl pregnant, and they say that they are a man. But I stopped by to tell you, make, you're not a man because you can make a baby. You're a man when you know what to do to stick around and take care of that baby. Say amen if you can. We need fathers to take care of their responsibility in their homes and instruct their children in right from wrong. We need fathers to be the leaders in their homes and lead their homes in a positive way. We need men to recognize that even though God put man over the woman in the marriage relationship, even though he is put in charge as a spiritual head, does that mean he's a dictator? Man should not have the mentality that he is the king of his castle. Man should understand that his word is not the final word of his household. Man needs to recognize that his arms are too short to box with God. Donald Trump, his arms are too short to box with God. The governor of your state, his or her arms are too short to box with God. The United Nations, their arms are too short to box with God. Any world leader, whether it's Putin, whomever, their arms are too short to box with God. Any denominational leader, their arms are too short to box with God. You and me, our arms are too short to box with God. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 7 to 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, 
saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, then so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the Bible is right. The Bible also says in Psalms chapter 50 and verse number 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. We need to recognize our arms are too short to box with God. When the world needs to recognize that their arms are too short to box with God. In the religious world, we need to recognize that our arms are too short to box with God. My first point is Pharaoh realized that his arms were too short to box with God. We see in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Bible lets us know that Joseph had died, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increasing abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. In verse 8, the Bible tells us, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Let me tell you, church, if you've been blessed by someone in the church or out of the church that recommended you for a job, once you get the job, don't sit back and enjoy the pleasures of employment living off the name of somebody else. Now, don't, now let, don't let people see you just doing what you want to do, come in when you want to come in, and do a halfway job and retire. Now, the thing is this. That person that got you the job may die. He may retire or even move on to a better position. Then someone is going to obtain power in the organization that did not know who you were. And they look at your employment record and see that you are living off the legacy of that person that got you the job. Instead of making your own path in the organization, they will decide to fire you and replace you with someone that they know will work hard for your plate, for your position. Because in the end result, it is not who you know, but what you know that will keep you in that position once your sponsor is no longer there. In verse 9, the Bible teaches us, and he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. This lets us know that church of the Pharaoh was concerned that the children of Israel was a large nation of its own. And if war broke out against, against Egypt, they believed that they would join that nation against Egypt. So what they did in verse 10 and 11, they put the entire children of Israel in bondage and made them slaves, having them build monuments, palaces, homes, shrines, and temples for the powerful Egyptians. They made them live, work hard in the brick pits, utilizing straw to make bricks. They made them work hard, y'all. They made them work from sun up to sundown. And the Egyptians thought if they filled their day with work, the when we can we can, what when when can I when what when basically when can I do what I want to do? 
that keep, that would keep the children of Israel from multiplying. But the, but the Bible teaches us in verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. That tells us, church, just keep on serving God and keep God first in your lives because the enemy will try every dirty trick up his sleeve to discourage you because you've got you get because you're going to get weary in well doing but God lets us know if you serve me I'm going to bless you then in verse 15 Pharaoh plots a new scheme by calling the midwives by the names of Sapphira and Pura and Pharaoh instructed them when they were doing their service as a midwife when the child was delivered if it was a boy they were instructed to kill that boy but if it was a girl they were, t- they were told to allow that girl to live. Pharaoh thought by enacting this plan that he would stop the multiplication of the children of Israel. Let me drop this bomb while I'm flying over this evening. The enemy is not going to play fair. When he is out to get God's people, he will use, every, he will use others to carry out his plans. Now, putting the children of Israel through hard work did not stop them from growing. Now he's going to try to stop the multiplication process through killing every male boy to prevent the multiplicity of God's children. But the Bible tells us in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them and saved the men children alive. In verse 18, Pharaoh called the midwives back to meet with them because they did not do what they were instructed to do. So church, you have nothing to fear from man when you're doing what is right in the sight of God. Just keep on living right in the sight of God. Don't matter what men say, you just keep on doing what God instructed you. Just keep on talking the right way in the sight of God, no matter what man says. Just keep on serving God because God will fight your battles. And God knows how to handle people better than you do. So just keep fighting. Just let God fight your battles. In verse number 20, the Bible says, Therefore dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. It shows when you serve God over man, God will remember you and bless you so good, you just keep on serving God. So now Pharaoh got got really devious and came with his master plan. In verse 22, he instructed his army, his men, to go into the land of Goshen and find every male Hebrew child to be thrown into the river and be eaten by crocodiles. But if you find a female baby, just leave it alone and let it live. So his men went out there and did what Pharaoh had instructed them to do. We move on to chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, and we're going to see a couple in the tribe of Levi had a three-month-old baby boy that could not that they could not hide anymore. They put that little boy in a handmade ark of bulrushes and placed that boy in the ark and set the ark down on the Nile River to save the boy's life. And the Bible says in verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the river to wash herself, that same river that her father had ordered the killing of Hebrew male children to be cast into it and be eaten by crocodiles. She saw the ark floating in the water, sent a maid to get the child, the basket, 
and opened it and found a three-month-old baby in the ark. And the Bible said, after looking upon the child, that she had compassion for the child. Now, the child's sister by the name of Miriam came up and after her and had been watching the path of the baby brother's basket along the way of the river. And she told Pharaoh's daughter in verse 7, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh's daughter told her to go and get that child's mother. When the mother showed up, Pharaoh's daughter told, told her to nurse this little boy and bring her, him back to me, and I will pay you for nursing that child. This is something. God blessed the basket to be brought into a compassionate woman who turned out to be the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at the time. His, his daughter saved the baby, and now you see the mother of that child being paid for taking care of flesh and blood. Can I tell you, God is still in the blessing business. When, then when his nurse, the nursing process had been done, his mother brought him back to the daughter of Pharaoh and said, I was called Moses because I drew him out of the water. He, Exodus 20 and verse number 10. Now Moses grew up in the, in the court of Pharaoh. He is now Prince Moses. He has a, a time of privilege as a child. He is taught how to read, taught his alphabet. He is taught the knowledge based on Egyptian standards. He is taught how to be a warrior. He has become a well-educated Hebrew man in the court of Pharaoh. And in verse 11 and 12, we see him out there amongst his own brethren, and he witnessed an Egyptian treating one of his own the wrong way. And he, and he threatened, basically, he killed that Egyptian, buried him in the sand. A day or two later, his own Hebrew brethren came unto him and said, verse 13 and 14, saying, who made you a prince and judge over us? As you are going to kill us like you did the Egyptian to keep your secret? Now Moses knew that his secret was out of the open, and he had to do something. So when Pharaoh had heard about this, he sought to slay Moses for killing the Egyptian. But Moses had escaped from Egypt and hid in the land of Midian. And he was, and basically that same time, the daughters of the prince of the priests of Midian went down to feed their sheep. Now some men basically had overpowered the women to try and feed their goats. But Moses stepped in and stood and fought as a warrior and allowed the seven girls to feed their sheep. Now the, seven, now the seven daughters invited him back to meet their father. And when the daughters told their, the story to their father, Jephro, the father asked, where is he? He waited. He wanted to meet this young man who had stood up for his seven daughters. And Moses accepted the invitation to break bread with him. And Moses stayed in the land of Midian. And he got married to a woman by the name of Zephra, who was his, who was his um, Jephro's daughter. And Moses had a child by Zephra and called his name Gershom. For he said, I am a stranger in a strange land. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 22. Not long after Moses was taking care of the sheep of, his, of Jephro, 
his father-in-law and looked up and saw a burning bush, but the bush was not consumed by the fire. And y'all know the story. He said, I'm going to go up and check out this, uh, this current right now. Now, when Moses had, had made his way up, he heard a voice calling him in the midst of the bush. And in verse 5, the Bible says, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes, for off thy feet. For the place whereon you standeth is holy ground. Now, God described that he, in verse 6, I am the father of the God of Abraham, the God of Egypt, and the God of Jacob. Moses then asked God if he had heard the cries of his children that were held in bondage in Egypt. And God tells Moses, I've heard the cries of the people. I've witnessed them being abused by another human being. Then he told Moses that he was going to send him to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Then, God, then Moses asked, started to ask a question to God. He said, when I go to my people and tell them that you sent me, what shall I say is your name? And God told him, I am. You tell them I am that I am sent you. And he told Moses, don't worry about anything because I'll be with you when you go down to Egypt. That just tells us, church, that the children of Israel, when we are doing what God tells us to do in our lives, we have no reason to be afraid. Even if you're standing by yourself, just keep on serving God because he is going to be with us throughout the battle. He's going to be with us through our pain. He's going to be with us throughout the storm. That is why the Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. For the trying of your faith worketh patience. That tells us as Christians, no matter what the storm we are in, how long the storm is, God is with us through the storm. Say amen when you can. Then Moses started to make excuses why he should not go down there. He said, he basically started telling God, they will not believe me. But God was, not, was ready for that and said, what is that in your hand? And he told him a rod. And he told him to place the hand inside his bosom. And when he pulled it out, it was leprosy on the hand. And he told him, you go ahead and put it back. Then later on in verse 14, he tells God, basically, I'm slow of speech. And God had let him know, who made your mouth? I know you've got a stuttering problem, Moses. You've been stuttering all your life. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. God was telling Moses, I know that you've got a problem. But he told him, you go ahead and whisper in Aaron's ear what you want to say, and Aaron will speak for you. We need to stop making excuses when we need to do what the, what the work of God is. We say, Lord, Lord, we wish, wish more people would come to Bible school, but we can't even get out of bed ourselves. Amen. Lord, Lord, we wish the church would grow and get bigger, but we don't want to teach anybody. Say amen when you can. When it's time to go out canvassing and knocking on some doors, letting the people know in the community that the Church of Christ is in town, we have too many things to do. We don't even have time to save a lost soul that needs saving. And don't let your relatives come over and visit you from down south and you decide that 
you're and they're not members of the church, y'all, and you decide that you're going to miss church so you can entertain your family. And you're up there talking all Saturday and Sunday about folk who are dead. Say amen when you can. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Is that how's Aunt Lucy? Oh, she died. Don't you know she died? Oh, that's right, she did die. Well, my cousin Sons. Oh, he died last year. That's all y'all talk about. Folk are already dead. But when Monday morning comes, hello, you get up extra early out of the bed. You bring your relatives downstairs and you show them the kitchen. You give them a grand tour of the kitchen. You show them where all the pots and pans are located. You show them where the grease is located. You open up the refrigerator and let them know, here are the eggs, sausage, bacon, cheese, milk, butter, cream, margarine are located. You open up the cabinets and show them where the oatmeal, grits, cereal, Pop-Tarts, and other food items are. You then take them to the living room, and you show them how to operate the remote control for the VCR, DVD, and cable remote control. You then tell them, enjoy yourselves. Make yourselves at home. I have to get ready to go to work. But you forsake the assembly of the saints together. Something is wrong with this picture. And God is not pleased with your commitment to him. Don't you realize that we serve a God that started time, controlled time, and one day God Almighty is going to stop time. We serve a God that puts food on our tables, clothes on our back, shoes on our feet, gives us a job, gives us a car to drive in, and he provides us a reasonable portion of health and strength. And we may have some aches and pains that are leaving Tylenol, cannot relieve. He provides us his protective grace. He watches over us as we travel and provides us traveling grace and arrival mercy. And we cannot take out three to four hours out of the week to give God the praise he deserves. Something is wrong, brothers and sisters. Say amen when you can. Now, God tells Moses in verse 15, basically, it's time for you to go on down to Egypt. And he told Moses in verse 5, in chapter 5, let my people go. And basically, Pharaoh, and this is Pharaoh Ramses II that he's speaking before, which is the son of the Pharaoh in whom he knew when he was a boy. He told Pharaoh, let my people go. And basically, the most powerful man in the world was not impressed by Moses and statement and commanded that he was going to increase the burden of the children of Israel by allowing them to have to, to have not allowing them to have straw to make their bricks. And basically, that lets us know that we're we serve a God that that our, her enemy is going to make things hard for us. We got to know that we're going to have some hard times as a Christian. But I stop by stop I stop I don't stop believing. I don't stop hoping, and I don't stop knowing that God is going to fight our battles each and every day. And sometimes, church, we may be fighting our battle right now and don't even know it, that he is fighting it for us. Say amen when you can. He is making a way happen right now, and you don't know what he is doing to make things right for you. That pink slip that your coworker got on your job last week may have had your name on it, but God fixed it 
that you were not laid off from your job. Your doctor called and told you that there was something that was not right with your blood work, and we you, you needed to come back in and run another battery of tests to double-check the findings. And when you do that, pray to God, asking God to bless their test results. And you get a telephone call on your cell phone from your doctor saying, when we ran these last of the tests, we were wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. That is the power of our God. You may be trying to buy a used or new car, but your credit is shaky. In fact, your credit is busted, disgusted, and you cannot be trusted. But God steps in and allows you to get that car you wanted without a whole lot of money as a down payment. I stop by to tell you that is the power of God. God is able to do anything he wants to do, and he's able to bless us even when we're in the midst of the storm. Say amen when you can. Now, you're over people, you're, and next thing you know, you're going for a job. You go to that job interview, and you don't have all the education that you need for the job. You don't have all the experience that you need for that job. But God steps in, and he go, go places. He goes up there to upper management where you can't see. And he touches the heart of the man who runs the company. And you go through the interview, and the man asks you, when can you start? I'm just telling you, it is by God's love, his grace, and his mercy that he takes care of us. Say amen when you can. You know God is good all the time, not just some of the time, but God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Aren't you glad God is good? Say amen when you can. Aren't you good that aren't you glad that God is able to take care of us each and every day? Aren't you glad that God is able to step in at the right time? He's able because he is God and he is God all by himself. Believe me, go to, have you heard of a man by the name of Hezekiah? Have you heard of a man named Hezekiah? We see him in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 20. Turn your Bibles there, 2 Kings chapter 20. And we're going to start with verse 1 through 6. And this talks about a man, basically, who was given a death sentence by God. And the Bible says in Hezekiah chapter 20, beginning verse 1, And in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus said the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Hezekiah, in verse 2, And he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O God, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in the sight of Hezekiah, swept sore. And it came to pass, afore Isaiah was gone out the middle court, that the word of the Lord came unto him, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, 
I will heal thee. Third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and his, and his city out of the hand of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. That lets you know doctor may give you a bad report, a bad health update, and say you've got a certain amount of time to live. But God steps in, gives you favor, heals your body, and you outlive the person who said that you were going to die. I'm telling you that God is good. But we see here that Pharaoh keeps on defying the word of will of God. And God tells, tells Moses to take his, his, his rod, and for seven days the water turned to blood. We see in chapter 8 he sends frogs to mess with Egypt. In chapter 8, he, he told Moses to smoke the dust of the land. In verse 8, God sent swarms of flies to mess with the people of Egypt. And he told the church the whole time, you know, the whole time while all this was going on, in the land of Goshen, there was no plague. Hello? That lets us know that God will take care of his people. God will protect his children during the time of battle because Pharaoh had to learn but even though all these plagues are coming, that their arms were too short to box with God. And the time, and as the plagues were lifted, God was giving Pharaoh another opportunity. But still, they just kept on, Pharaoh kept on hardening his heart. But then things changed later on when God had, had basically out of his own mouth, the knockout punch was struck. When God, when Moses, Pharaoh decided that he was going to, slew people in the land of Goshen. And God stepped in and killed and basically took the life of his own son. Basically, before that, the backdrop, we see that Moses told the people to take blood and put it on the, on the pillars and, the, and over, the, over the, the house. And when the death angel came, they would see the blood and they would pass over them. But basically, no, there was no blood in Egypt. And we see later on that Pharaoh's, ch- Pharaoh's child is taken because of Pharaoh's own ignorance and st- stubbornness. It lets us know that basically, Pharaoh, your arms are too short to box with God. Then basically, after all was said and done, later on, Pharaoh told, allowed his people to be set free. And basically, he le- Moses leads all these people out of Egypt. But then Pharaoh's heart got hard again, commanded his army, and with his army, they chased after the children of Israel. And there was mountains to the left of them, mountains to the right of them, and there was water in front of them, being the Red Sea. And God told Moses to step, strike out his, his, his rod and cause the water to separate. And the children of Israel marched across on dry land. I told you God takes care of his people. And then when the Egyptian went after Pharaoh, after Moses, all the people, all his army were drowned in the Red Sea. It just lets you know that, Pharaoh, your arms were too short to box with God. So we need to remember as, as members of the church, God expects things from us. God has commanded us to do certain things, and we need to do what God says. In closing, 
for those who are listening today who are not members of the Church of Christ. And you may ask the question, Brother Coleman, all of that sounds wonderful, but what must I do to be saved? You know what? That's the greatest question that you can ask. And God doesn't demand much. He asked for five simple things, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to bring the gospel to us. And what is the gospel? The good news. The gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. First of all, you must hear the gospel, Romans ten seventeen. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then you must believe the gospel, John eight twenty four. The Bible says, except you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, Jesus says, where I am, you cannot come. Then you must repent of your sins. Repent means turn away from things that you've been doing wrong and turn and start doing right for God. Luke 13, 3 and 5 says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Then you must confess with your, your mouth the sweetest words that you will ever say. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Acts chapter 8 verses 36 and 37, and then you go down into the liquid tomb of baptism for the remission of your sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And someone said, well, why do I got to be baptized? Why can't God just touch my hand? Because God is not in the dry cleaning business. I'm quoting the late Dr. Eugene Lawton, because it takes water to be baptized. And when you get baptized, tism washes away your sin, Acts 22, 16. It makes you a new creature, John 3 and verse number 5. You become a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And baptism adds you to the church of Christ, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. So if you need to find the church that Jesus built and you want to get baptized, contact Brother Stevie Butler, and he will definitely find you a congregation near you where the preacher will take your hand and you give your heart, your heart to God and give your, your hand to the preacher, and he will take you down and baptize you for the remission of your sins. And if you're a member of the Church of Christ and you're not living right, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You've gone some places you should not have gone. You've done some things that you should not have done. You need to repent. And if you need prayer for yourself, prayer for a family member, you've come to the right place. Message Brother Stevie Butler and let him know that you need to repent of your sins. Let him know you're requesting prayer for yourself or some family member or friend because we all need prayer every single day of our lives. May God, I pray that this message this evening will be beneficial for you as members of the church and may cause those who are listening today who are not members of the church to look at themselves and realize their undone condition and put on Christ in baptism for the remission of your sins. May God bless you. May God keep you. Thank you for listening. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. God is able. God is able. God is able to do what he said he would do. God is able. God is able. Yes, he is. God is able. 
do what he said he'd do. Whoa, Think about Daniel and the lion's den. It didn't look too good, but Daniel put his trust in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the flames grew hot, they just put their trust in God. And he would not let them go. God showed his faithfulness. So if you think you're in a trial by fire, when the flames grow hot, you just put your trust in God, and he'll never let you go. When trials come your way, He can give you peace down in your soul. He is always true. He'll be there for you. Will you believe Him? Will you receive You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the segment of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. We want to pose to one of my co-hosts, Glenn McMillian. He serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. How you doing, Glenn? Where you at, Glenn? <laughs> I'm right here. All right. I'm doing just fine. I hadn't heard from you in a while. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a little bit, but uh I'm I'm ready to get back in. All right. Now we got a doozy of a question for you. Now this question was posted uh 
earlier this week. Uh, this question comes from anonymous queries from the state of Texas, and they asked, now, why do you suppose that we have the various genealogies listed in the scriptures when a lot of these people that are in these genealogies really mean nothing to us in the 21st century? What say you to this question? Uh, that is a, a very good question, <laughs> and I think it speaks to uh, a general uh, problem that we see in Bible study and, and in understanding scripture in the modern age. And it's, there is a certain arrogance, I guess, for lack of a better term, that we have been trained to approach the Bible with. I, I believe when we go into a, a Bible study setting and the first question that's asked after we read the text is, text is, what does this text mean to you? You have put the cart before the horse, as it were. Uh, we have to understand that everything that is written is written by someone to someone for some purpose. And in the case of Scripture, we're, we're reading uh, texts that are, are written by biblical writers to specific audiences that they had envisioned at the time. And then from there, once we understand what the meaning of these texts are for those people, then we can talk about how do we apply the things that those people would have gotten from that scripture to our context today. So in the case of these genealogies specifically, we're usually dealing with, again, with Jewish writers who are writing to Jewish audiences, convincing them to embrace something beyond the Judaism that they're used to. Um, so the, the most famous one, the one that probably prompted this question, uh, although I don't know uh, the, who, uh, who wrote this question or, or what they're, which particular genealogies they're, they're, they're talking about. Um, but if we begin with the, the genealogy in the book of Matthew, Matthew writes the, uh, the, the list of names that we see in Matthew chapter 1 in order to show the lineage of, of Jesus Christ from uh, all the way from, from, uh, from Adam, or sorry, sorry from, from Abraham. And so the point, what is the point of that? Why, why is Matthew doing this? Well, Jesus is making the claim that he is the Messiah, and Matthew is supporting that claim. And in order to support that claim, Matthew knows that the Messiah has to check certain boxes in, in the minds of uh, the Jewish people at that time. And number one, the, the Messiah has to come from the royal line, the line of David. So he has to establish that Jesus is in the line of David. He has to show that not only is he in the line of David, that he is in the royal line. So he has to make sure that he is going through the, the, the proper channels that would have given him a royal claim, even though the kingship uh, of, the, of the nation of Israel, the, 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 uh, 
the nation as a a political entity uh, no longer had that that function. But he has to have that that claim, that claim to the the throne, the eternal throne of David. He has to be born in Bethlehem. So he has. We have to see the rest of the story uh, going through Matthew chapter one and two to show that. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he comes out of Bethlehem to, to, uh, to satisfy biblical prophecy there. And all, all throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel, he is going back to Scripture, make sure that all of these prophecies about the Messiah are being fulfilled through Christ. But it starts with the genealogy. If, if Christ doesn't come from the line of David, you don't have a claim at all. So you can't even get to is Jesus the Messiah if you haven't ticked that first box of he's from the line of David. So there is a reason for that genealogy to be there. And that same reasoning goes through any other genealogy that you want to deal with. The one in Luke has the same function, even though it has a slightly different audience. So it has it includes slightly different uh references and, and it follows a slightly different path to get where it's going. But the point is the same. It's, it's to establish in the minds of the readers that Philman not only a prophecy, but he has a legitimate claim to being the Messiah, being uh, the king of the Jews, to having all of these uh, the, the credentials to, to make the claim that he is who he claimed to be, which is the Messiah, the, the Son of God. So those particular genealogies serve that function. And yet all the other genealogies, if you're going back into the Old Testament, again, they serve that same function. That They have to show a, a lineage going forward. The point of the genealogies being there, and, and for, from our perspective looking backwards, is that we can see this unbroken line in how God is uh, preserving the line of Israel so that we can get to where, we're, where we are in Matthew and Luke, this line of Christ continuing. So we have the line of Christ in Matthew and, and in Luke, but we also have supporting evidence for that in the other uh, books of the, of the Old Testament that also include other genealogies. So all of that shows is, is the same that for the audiences that, were, that the, the books were written to, it was important for them to understand how they got to where they are and make sure that these lines of, of, uh, of succession were maintained so that the people that they're talking about have the credentials in order to do what they were doing or, or have hold the positions that they held. Kings had to come from the line of Judah, so you had to show this unbroken line from from Judah to them in order to have a legitimate claim of rulership. In Israel, they they broke away from that, so they had different things going on there. But from from the perspective of that that the uh, that the Bible is trying to show in terms of making this case. Um, and again, it all ultimately leads to to Christ. But in each, in each of those other books, 
there is a it is there to show that there is a royal succession or there is a legitimacy to the person that they are leading up to. Either that they have a royal line or they have a priestly line that gives them claim to doing with it whatever they're that is the reason that those genealogies are there for them and then for us. Again, it is for us to to know that Jesus has a legitimate claim on uh, divinity, a legitimate claim on being the Messiah, and therefore, if they had confidence in that, given that they had more intimate knowledge of those facts, and and it would have been much more important to them to know uh, that genealogy, then. If they were confident in, in that, then we can also be confident that Jesus is who he claimed he is, that he had the credentials that he claimed to have, and we can put our trust in that fact, that, that Jesus is who he said he was. So there, that is, in a nutshell, why the genealogies are there, why they are important to us. But in general, again, everything that is in the Bible is, not written directly to us. It's written to the people of that time. And so we, we always want to understand what the people of that time would have gotten out of that text before we start applying it to us. So the, the looking for a 21st century application right off the bat is almost always the wrong way of approaching any text of scripture. And, that, and that's going to lead you into some dangerous area. So if you're thinking about reading of this passage and it doesn't mean anything to me in the 21st century, you're, you're thinking about it wrong. <laughs> you need to start looking at uh, what would it have meant to them and, and why, why would it, was it important for them to have that information. And then once you understand why they had that information, why they needed that information, then we can talk about, okay, so then what is knowing that about them give us? And, and what can we glean from that uh, given where they, what understanding they would have had from the scripture? Um, so that is the, 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 the principle in, 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 in the macro and then the genealogies in the micro are, again, specifically for the purpose of showing legitimacy of a kingly or priestly line, ultimately leading to the line of Christ being preserved throughout biblical history. So I hope that answers the question. I hope that gives you um, what you need in, in, in terms of understanding why the genealogies are there, why they're important, how they can be important for us in terms of giving us a stronger foundation for our faith, because if they had confidence and, and could have have confidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be based on his credentials, then we should also uh, be able to, to have that same confidence because that they were much closer to it. They would, they would have known whether or not this was fabricated or not, and they believed based on these genealogies being presented to them in this way. And therefore, we should be able to, to rest assured that if the, the early church, if the, the people that were in that time uh, could bank on these, these genealogies as being proof of Jesus' credentials, then we should also be able to 
to have that faith. The lesson is yours. I hope that that, that has been a, a, a good explanation to you. I know this was a, a shorter lesson, this is, but it's, I think it was an important one for us to, to understand in terms of the principle. Again, always look to what were they going to get out of this information before we start talking about what, what we're going to get out of it. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. This was a program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone to the live show is 713 Zero five zero eight, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting the live show, What a Working Lord Radio Show, and that show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. On the second Tuesday of the month, we'll have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ. We'll be making that proclamation of the gospel of Christ. We'll also have a community corner segment that's a segment designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have two co-hosts on that uh, show. As Lou Gilbert, he serves as the evangelist for Oakbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my co-host, Ethan Mullins, he serves the Church of Christ in Cary, North Carolina. And then on the third Tuesday of the month, I'll be hosting the same show here at that airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Dr. Enterica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetricianist 
and she serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she will be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she'll be hosting the Kelly Fletcher Show. And then on Thursday evening, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show, and that show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have seven co-hosts on that show, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. And on this broadcast, each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. I'll be posted to one of my co-hosts on that live show. And then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B, a fellow gospel music blast. And this shows the 2022 recipient for the NACAMA, the National Academy of Christian Affiliate Artists Award, for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And this show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the Sweet Sounds of Bosses. And we're also interviewing artists on this broadcast, debuting new music and featuring old music as well. And every third Friday of the month, I'll have the Top 20 Countdown Show. We also have on-demand episodes. These are, there are just a variety of musical platforms that you can use now. Whoever you're getting your favorite podcast from to listen to these shows, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. And I also have recorded version shows as well. These are uh, mostly album debuts, shows mostly. And these, I use the same playlist on Ball Talk Radio on the live show. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio on Visa and Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B. Quoted Virgin Shows. And we also want to thank our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you want to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B. Media Production is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Live radio show. My co-host, Steve Cotto, is up next. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. So lonely night, you pretty. Alright. Coming to the stage, my brother. We go way back. I'm talking about Luke Street Church of Christ back, y'all. Y'all ready? See, I say Moochie. See, I say Moochie. Come on down here, boy. Come on down here. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on, boy. Don't fall, don't fall. We got you. I work for the Lord. Everything I do, yeah, I do for the Lord But some people try to run my life Thinking their way is always right Tell them this, tell them 
that What you want me to do Put a rabbit on my hat Even though I lend a helping hand I think I ought to test for them It's my way or the highway That's what you say Well that's what you say I can tell you this right now With my Jesus I won't back down Oh Lord won't you help me To keep my cool won't you help me I'm not trying to make you mad But I gotta tell you something bad Yeah I don't
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Steve Cordo. Good evening, Stevie, and thank you for having me on the show, and welcome to our listening audience on Blog Talk Radio or whichever platform you happen to be on. You want to get your Bibles out and open to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we'll be uh, looking at, and we'll be looking at several parts of that uh, chapter here in just a minute. We'll also be looking at uh, several other passages of uh, Scripture as we go along in our uh, in our lesson uh, this evening. This lesson that I'm presenting uh, this evening is part of a series that I'm doing in the congregation where I'm preaching right now. And it's based partially on a book that I read several years ago. The title of the book is True for You, But Not for Me by Paul Copen. And it is a good resource for uh, Christians who are trying to explain aspects of Christianity to our friends. This is uh, one that will help you to build a a good foundation of apologetic, that is, evidences and reasons why we believe the Christian faith uh, is the right faith uh, to get people reconciled to God. It looks at some of the questions and some of the issues such as all religions lead to God. That's a popular one these days. Or who are you to judge others? That's another one that gets thrown in our face whenever we try to discuss what the Bible teaches on a given topic. And then the idea that some people have about Jesus being just another great religious leader. Well, Copen deals with these and other questions in uh, the book. And uh, there's some study questions in there, too, that you can use uh, to sort of thought-provoking Because what I'm finding over the years is that people are looking a lot of times for churches that will already support what they already believe. So I come into a church with particular ideas about God, about sin, and so I'm looking, I'm starting with my conclusion and working backwards. I've got a cartoon that I use in the PowerPoint presentation for this lesson with a young man standing at a counter in a bookstore. Uh, He's at the bookstore called Bibles Are Us, and the caption says, he's asking the sales clerk, can I get a customized Bible geared specifically for the way I want to live? And that is the approach many people take. Now, there are people out there that are genuinely seeking truth, and that's good when we find them to uh, study with them and help point them in the right direction. But when you've got someone who doesn't really want to accept Bible teaching, that can be troublesome. But as Christians, we have a charge. And in a lot of our songbooks, there is a song called A Charge to Keep I Have, uh, written in 1732 by Charles Wesley. And it's based on Leviticus chapter 8, verse 35, which says, Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord, so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Now, I would suggest that today we have a charge to keep. Namely, it's a charge to preach and teach the gospel, just the way it's written, not substituting our personal preferences or our church uh, denominational doctrines or anything like that. What does the book say? And when we do that, 
we can it can lead us into trouble with our modern culture. And in this day and age, many people are adrift. They're lost in a world of changes. Even the definitions of right and wrong are being changed, where it's getting flipped, just like Isaiah talked about, where you've got people calling good evil and evil good. But Jesus made it clear that the world would not always appreciate our message. In John chapter 17, he said, uh, verse 14, this is just before he goes to the cross. Jesus said, I have given, he's praying to God, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So notice, he did not say it was going to be easy. He did not pray for God to take us out of the world. And you notice, by saying that we're going to have conflict, because he says the, the world has hated them, uh, we're going to have that conflict. You notice he did not say anything about changing our beliefs or doctrine to keep up with the times or to be more inclusive or more open. No, that's not what he said. In fact, in Scripture, we see the exact opposite taught. Uh, and this is particularly what's going on in our schools uh, with, the, uh, the, with, with uh, the transgender movement, the homosexual movement, that kind of thing. In fact, I have a clip, uh, and I, you can find the link on YouTube, from the uh, Douglas Congregational United Church of Christ. It's a, they build themselves on their website as a progressive, inclusive, open and affirming faith community. Uh, in, uh, they're in Michigan. And in uh, March 11th of 2018, their minister said the following, quote, and this is a sermon called A Progressive Christian Looks at John 3.16. Uh, he said, quote, Jesus said, follow the way. What is the way? The way of forgiveness, the way of service, follow the way, the way of unconditional love, because Jesus knew that when you lived from that way, you stopped listening to the voice of the ego, the voice of the small self, the voice of separation and darkness, and you start to awaken more and more to the light. Now, honestly, if you just stop there, that's not bad. Jesus does want us to practice unconditional love. He wants us to get away from ego and, the, and self and that sort of thing. But he goes on to say this minister, uh, Salvatore uh, Sepienza, I think is how you pronounce his name, he goes, Sepienza goes on to say that uh, we are to awaken more and more to the light of your true self. Now listen to this, to your divine self, your Christ self. So Jesus didn't say that he was the only one. In fact, if you read the Gospels, he says just the opposite. He stood in front of crowds of people and said, you are sons and daughters of God. And he said, you are the light of the world. And he said, all the things that I have done, you can do. Now, saying that Jesus didn't say that he was the only one. Well, in fact, Jesus did say he was the only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get much plainer than that. And then, uh, you are the light of the world, he said, of all the things that I have done, you can do. Jesus never said that. There are a lot of things Jesus did that we can't do. We cannot raise people from the dead. Uh, we can convert people and lead people to Christ. That's, I believe, is the, the greater things he talked about doing, greater than John the Baptist. So we have to be ready for these people who call themselves progressive Christians, people who call themselves atheists or whatever their, their uh, religious persuasion is, we have to be ready to give them Bible-based answers. 
And that's the title of this lesson, is Answering Today's Cultures, Part 1, Be Prepared. Now, if you were a Boy Scout, you know that the motto of the Boy Scouts is to be prepared. And that's important because every one of us knows someone who's not a Christian. They have not, they either don't believe in Jesus, never have, or maybe they did at one time and they don't now. So that leads us to two truths we have to uh, understand about people. Number one is people will reject truth. Not everyone is going to accept it. Some people will reject it no matter what they're told, no matter how much evidence you show them. It reminds me of the farmer who was out working his field and a busload of politicians turned over uh, in his field, came off the road, hit a tree, and it was just the bus busted open, and it was just a big mess, bodies everywhere. So he goes out there and decides he's going to go ahead and bury these bodies. And after a while, uh, a couple of days, the sheriff comes by and and uh, he sees the crash bu crashed bus and asks the old farmer about the politicians. The farmer said, well, I buried them. The sheriff said to the old farmer, he said, well, wait a minute. The, the coroner didn't get out here or the medical examiner. Uh, are you sure all those people were dead? All those politicians were dead. The farmer said, well... Some of them said they weren't dead, but you know how them politicians lie. And some people, even though he had evidence, guys, people saying, hey, I'm still alive. He buried them anyway. And when we look back at our scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we can see how some of this uh, plays out. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's go ahead and look at that. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. I think I said, I said first, I meant 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, they will turn away their ears from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. And so some people are not going to uh, accept truth. They want their ears to be tickled. They will not endure sound doctrine. Now, why do people reject truth? Well, for one thing, truth might go against their previous or even their current knowledge. You know, I grew up uh, without a whole lot of religious uh, foundation. So when I started reading the Bible, it was under the influence of some uh, well-meaning denominational friends who, for instance, got me preaching, this, uh, not preaching, but praying the sinner's prayer. I believed I, that was the what I needed to do to be saved. And then uh, I learned about two or three years later, well, no, where is, when I had a roommate ask me, well, where in the sinner's prayer or in the Bible do you find the sinner's prayer? Um, hmm, well, let me see here. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, um, hmm, it's not there. And it took a little while. I had a, another roommate whose sister, uh, he studied with his sister, and his sister became a Christian. It took another year or so for her husband uh, to finally obey the gospel. And the reason he didn't, part of the reason anyway, was because he said he had a hard time believing that the preacher in the denominational church he was going with, that, that a lot of the stuff he was told in that church was wrong. And he had been in that all his life. His parents grew up in that particular denomination. And uh, so that was a lot for him to have to digest. 
And then uh, not only does uh, does the, the truth go against people's previous knowledge, but sometimes it's inconvenient. And this is where a lot of people, I think, really are, if they would just uh, be honest. They know that uh, what God wants us to, uh, to do. They know that God saves from heaven, but he expects us to live life here on this earth. But it's just inconvenient for them to change their views or change their life now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know, or rather, he says, and so, now watch this, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now notice, now this is one of the so-called clobber passages that Christians like to use about homosexuality. But notice, that's not the only sin listed there. There are several others listed there. So a couple of takeaways are, number one, if, the, if someone involved in a sexual sin, like homosexuality, can't change, what about the rest of these? If we're just born that way and there's nothing we can do about it. What about a, uh, an idolater or an adulterer or a thief? Because look at the, Because this is all in the same context. So they can change, and there's a long list of people who have come out of all of these sins. And he says, such were some of you, such, uh, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that people who leave these sins behind will never struggle with them. How many of us know someone uh, who has uh, uh, had a problem, let's say, with drinking, and they've really struggled with alcohol? Sure, they've become a Christian, but they still struggle. You know, they, they of course, have to cry, have to put in effort to defeat uh, this sin, but some people struggle with alcohol all their lives. Some people do struggle with sexual immorality all their lives, or they struggle with covetousness. A lot of people will walk away from these sins, and they won't have to uh, deal with them. They'll be able to stay, stay clear of them, but some people will struggle. And that's something we have to work with people, have to pray with people, and understand that for some people the struggle is going to be intense. And later on, or earlier, I should say, Paul told the Galatians that the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uh, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. And he goes on down this long list of, of sins, and then he gets to the part where he says, uh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not. Now, now notice this is not the first time he's told them that. Told them this. Just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit. Notice he says practice. He didn't say someone maybe who slips into sin occasionally uh, might commit sin. But this is someone who, who is practicing it. This is everyday life that they're living. And what it can, can mean to someone who doesn't understand Bible teaching is that Paul is saying that we have to give up the stuff we enjoy for fun to become Christians. Now, there's a man, I think he's, I don't know if he's still uh, doing the Does God Exist program or not, but John N. Clayton uh, lives up in South Bend, Indiana, or taught in South Bend, Indiana, rather. Uh, for many years, taught high school science. He grew up as an atheist, 
uh, became a Christian because of the influence of his wife. And this is not John Clayton, by the way, of ESPN, uh, who I think has passed away, but I'm not positive about that. There's a John Clayton with ESPN that covered a lot of the NFL. This is a different John Clayton. And he, uh, whenever we hosted him, we hosted him several times to present his Does God Exist lesson series. And I always had him on Sunday mornings to preach why I left atheism. Very powerful lesson. He's even got it written in a booklet form. And one of the things he says at the beginning of the lesson, he says, look, especially to the young people, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, I had fun as an atheist. Uh, he lived in Bloomington, Indiana, and Indianapolis at the time was the party town. And he said, if I wanted to go, I went. If my parents told me I couldn't go, he said, I would just disconnect the speedometer on the car and go anyway. He had a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, I didn't become a Christian until my early 20s. And quite frankly, I had a lot of fun too. Uh, doing various things. But when I became a Christian, it did not mean I had to give up having fun. Christians can still have fun, but we have it in different ways that people uh, who are not Christians may not understand when they understand or see that we're not getting drunk, we're not doing the things that, things that uh, we used to do prior to our conversion. And so we have to understand that Paul is not killing our fun. We also have to understand that people like to gather with those who agree with them. And this is where I say uh, people looking for churches to affirm what they already believe. We like to be around people who think like us, who believe like us. Look again at what Timothy says uh, in verses 3 and 4. Go back to 2 Timothy 4. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Uh, where he's there saying, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do we like to be around people who agree with us, and that's true in Christian fellowship? We like to encourage one another and be able to pray for one another, but people who reject Jesus, remember, uh, because of false teaching, they've got people around them encouraging them to uh, uh, to go away from the scriptures. Just like we Christians have people around us to encourage us to be faithful, uh, the atheists or the uh, uh, denominationalists, he's got people affirming what he believes around him. I mean, who wouldn't like to hear that you can sin all you want and still go to heaven, that it doesn't really matter how you live, that Jesus didn't mean what he said about hell. By the way, Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And plenty of people, you notice, who dress themselves in the clerical robes and have fancy titles like reverend, the, the very reverend, the most reverend, or my personal favorite, the right reverend. Seems like that would imply there's a wrong reverend somewhere, but I digress. But see, those people running around who have those kinds of credentials and are teaching people, contrary to, to Bible teaching, uh, they're encouraging people to reject biblical truth. But look again at verse 3. Paul spoke about false teaching, and he usually focused on the evil intentions of false teachers. But false teachers, remember, cannot flourish unless they have an audience. And so this is where we have to be on our guard. This is why you need to take your Bible with you when you go to church, whether it's a, or go to Bible study, whether it's the old paper and ink or you have it on your phone or a tablet, take it with you. Paul is pointing out the fault of these listeners not accepting sound doctrine because sound doctrine wasn't what they wanted to hear. Now, I might have mentioned a few times uh, on this radio program, uh, there was a place where I preached once 
and there was a lady in the congregation, and I always knew if the sermon stepped on her toes. And how did I know that? Because I got a phone call during the week where she would call and tell me how I said such and such and though, thus and so. And, and you know, you cross the line there, preacher, because people come to church to feel good. That was her argument. That's why she was there. And I thought, you know, I, I go to the doctor because I want to feel good. I get out of bed not feeling real well, so I go to the doctor. And there was a time about 10 years ago that I was sitting in an exam room waiting for the doctor to come in, and he told me there was about a 70 or 80% chance that I had thyroid cancer. Now, long story short, it turned out I didn't, but at the time we were about 70 or 80% certain. Now, did I feel good when he told me that? Well, no, I didn't. Who would feel good about that? But listen, this was not what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. If he told me what I wanted to hear, hey, fine, biopsy's back, it's all good, go on out and play. Go on about your business. That's what I wanted to hear. But had he done that, I wouldn't have gotten uh, treatment, I wouldn't have got it, and who knows what would have happened down. It turned out actually it wasn't, like I say, cancer in the end. But 70 to 80%, those are pretty good odds that it's going to be. I, I got uh, blessed and got lucky that it wasn't. But what I needed to hear was the diagnosis so that I could uh, discuss options and figure out what to do about it. When the preacher says something that steps on your toes, before you call him and complain, stop and ask yourself, okay, the preacher talked about gossip and it bothered me. Am I a gossip? Do I need to curtail and change my speech and what I say and what I talk about? He talked about covetousness. That stepped on my toes. Am I pursuing the dollar and material goods too much? So ask yourself those questions. Listeners that Paul is talking about are, are looking for a sugar-coated message. They, it's what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. They want only positive, good things to be preached at them, and you cannot do that. Those people pay, uh, that, that, that uh, Timothy's having to contend with, uh, they've got itching ears. They're seeking novel teaching, kind of like what Paul was, uh, or rather the Athenians on Mars Hill. Remember when Paul showed up there and he saw the, the, all the various idols and, and temples and, and uh, altars and that sort of thing and started preaching. And you got the Athenians sitting there, you know, who uh, Luke recorded. They just sit around listening for something new. So they hear him and say, what does this babbler want to say? Uh, excuse me, sir. Could you, you're saying some things that sound really strange to us, this resurrection thing. Uh, could you uh, elaborate on that? What, what do you mean by that? And Paul used that as an opportunity to present the gospel. Now, in the end, some of them just scoffed at it, and some believed, but some of them just said, yeah, we'll, we'll have to get with you another time. We'll, have to, we'll hear you on this another time. And so what happens in those situations are, you know, I don't know how many of them ever came back or talked to him, but getting back to, to uh, 2 Timothy 4, Paul is basically telling Timothy that these people want teachers that will tickle their ears, and they want teachers that will suit their own desires. And in the, 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 uh, there's two different extremes here. One is I want the preacher to tell me how good I am, that 99.99% of all people have good hearts and just want to live a good life. Joel Osteen has said something close to that on his TV program, and that's one extreme. It's all good. Live how you want. Just have a good life here. Oh, and of course, buy all my books so that I get the royalty, and I'm sure that factors into it. 
But on the other hand, you've got people who just preach that everybody is vile, everybody is immoral, everybody's going to hell. I think the happy medium is in between somewhere. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, at one time we were enemies of God, Romans chapter 5 tells us, and that's when Christ died for us. There is none righteous, no, not one. I believe that's what the Bible says. But on the flip side to that, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God took care of the problem. So we can be reconciled to God through what Jesus did for us. And then uh, uh, understanding the need to be prepared. And now let's prepare to answer our culture. How do we do it? First of all, you got to pray. Only God can open the hearts and minds of, of our friends and neighbors around us. Uh, you know, there's a song in our book, that Lead Me to Some Soul. Uh, it's in some song books. But as Christians, let's pray for someone. Pick a person, your neighbor, maybe a coworker, that you could pray that God will open their hearts so you can share the gospel with them. Second thing is you have to bring the word. Timothy was told, preach the word when it's convenient, when it's not. That's what the in-season and out-of-season is. Paul wanted Timothy to be bold and to be passionate about it. And it was up to Timothy to preach the gospel so that the, the Christianity could, could spread. Verse 2, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And that's the New King James Version. The NIV says... Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Because we have to always be prepared to tell others about Jesus, and we've got to do it with patience. Because some people are, are not going to get it right away. Now, I know at least two instances where it literally took decades. Uh, one uh, preacher I knew, he went. He started going uh, to church because of an aunt that was a Christian, and she uh, would invite his uncle, her husband, uh, every time. And he always said no, said no, and sometimes got very hostile about it. And then one day she was going out the door, hey, do you want to come with me? And he said, yeah, I think I will. And then some of the men got a hold of him, went fishing with him, and did golf and whatever it was he liked to do, and he was baptized a couple of months later. Another friend of mine, his parents were married 30 years before his father became a Christian. And then, of course, once he became a Christian, he said, hey, wait a minute, this stuff is simple. Why can't people understand it? And they had to tell him, hey, wait a minute, Dad, don't you remember it took you 30 years to figure it out? We have to be patient. But we also need to make sure we give full and correct instruction to people. What does the word say? That's what we're interested in. What does the book say? But I think such and so. My church says, uh, stop right there. What does the book say? We do not change our beliefs or our teaching to accommodate the world. You have to change to accommodate what the Bible says. Verse, uh, going back verse, uh, to 1 Timothy 4.2, patience is needed to preach God's word because of our natural-born resistance to doing things God's way. People just for some reason, maybe it's, I'm guessing, though it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, that's where it comes from. We just have this natural uh, inclination, it seems, to disobey God. And dealing with resistance to God's way is, in a, very, is a very especially different, uh, or difficult rather, tightrope. But listen, we cannot afford to mimic the culture around us. 
we cannot give hearers just what they want to hear. We have to understand that God does have uh, standards. He does have things we need to preach on. Now, we don't want to be judgmental or harsh, but when the Bible gives us a specific teaching on something, there is no judging. You know, when you get when you get pulled over for doing uh, 20 over the speed limit, you know, you're up to 85, 90 miles an hour on the interstate or something, and that patrolman walks up and writes you a ticket for it, he's not judging. He's doing his job. The speed limit is 70 miles an hour. I caught you at 85 or 90 or whatever it was. Oh, come on, officer. Judge not lest you be judged. As he writes the ticket, yeah, right. Tell it to the judge. When we have a teaching like 1 Corinthians 6 or or Galatians 5, uh, Romans 6 about being baptized, being immersed, and we tell someone, hey, look, here's what the Bible says. There is no judging. You're just uh, uh, telling people what the word is. Just like that officer is enforcing the law and telling you what the law is in this section of road. It's 70 mile an hour speed limit. That's all we're doing is telling people uh, what the word says. If they reject it, that's between them and God. We've done our part. But Bible-based teaching helps convince unchurched uh, guests and our unchurched friends, or it should anyway, it should convince them that being uh, that what is being shared from God's word is beneficial, even though it is going to be challenging at times. Jesus never said it would be easy to live a Christian life. Ignore the prosperity gospel that says, oh, Christians, just name it and claim it, and you'll be healthy and wealthy. You remember when when the disciples got into the boat and crossed over the Sea of Galilee and that storm hit? What was Jesus? Sleeping. But remember that the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do when they got in that boat. And what happened? They ran smack into a storm. So following Jesus does not promise or guarantee we're going to have an easy, perfect life. And remember, the Word of God does not need any sort of apology. It needs application. It needs us to use it so that uh, others, uh, we can uh, use it and learn it and teach to others. And some listeners, we have to remember, are occasionally going to wince when they hear God's truth. That can't be helped. The Bible is a living book, and it will uh, convict people of sin. People sometimes, when they read it and, and see what they have to do, Uh, It may even bother them. But the Bible will challenge our thinking. It will challenge our behavior. Now, one of the things we have to be careful of, and there's a quote attributed to Charles uh, Spurgeon that says, the biggest lie the devil ever told was that churches could win souls with entertainment. I don't know if Spurgeon said that, but the sentiment is definitely true. I've got some pictures in my files that I use for, uh, for this lesson when I talk about worship. There are some of them, I put them up on the screen, and I say, okay, is this a church worship or is this a rock concert? And you can't tell the difference. They've got the uh, the floodlights, the smoke machines, or not smoke, it's uh, steam uh, machines, that uh, might be smoke. Uh, the, the audience is uh, waving in the breeze, they're, they're being loud, and there's nothing wrong with showing enthusiasm about worshiping God, there's nothing wrong with being joyous. But I should be able, if I walk in, to know, is this a concert or is this an actual worship to God? Because what will happen is we leave that worship assembly. Yeah, sure, we're pumped up with the adrenaline going, but that's not going to last. Give it about a day, maybe even less than that, and we're going to be right back uh, to where we were. It will not produce any lasting change under those circumstances. 
And then we need to prepare to take the gospel by having the right attitude. Now, it's Saturday night. You're coming home. You've been out to the movies. Your friends say, hey, let's uh, let's go to uh, to IHOP for a short stack or something and have a, a fourth meal. Oh, no, man. I got to go to church tomorrow. You got to go to church? How about we change that and show some enthusiasm and say, no, you know what? I've got to assemble with God's people in the morning. I need to go home, get a good night's rest so I can assemble with God's people tomorrow and learn all I can from the scriptures. Hey, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come to Bible study with me and show the, the right attitude, the enthusiasm that we can have? First Peter chapter 3, this is from the NIV, says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. The New King James, which is what I generally use to preach and teach from, says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, notice there's three things that we see here. Number one is be prepared. That's what this word uh, answer uh, is. It's in a, it, it literally means in Greek, it's the word that we get our English word apology. Now, an, apolo an apology in English means, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on your foot. Sorry, my bad. I apologize. But in the original language, it was a legal term. So if you were accused of a crime and they brought you into court, they would tell you what the charges are. Now, what's your apology? What's your answer to these charges? So Peter wants us to be prepared to have an answer for why are you a Christian? And he says, uh, give an answer for the hope that is in you. So what he wants us to do is be prepared and give a personal answer. Not just a general, well, Christians uh, uh, have hope because blah, blah, or we believe such and such because blah, blah. No, you. Why do you have this hope? Now, we have to be careful here that we don't get off into really uh, uh, long, drawn-out testimonials. Now, I've been to some denominational testimonial meetings, and testimony has its place. For instance, that is what businesses use. When I, I was selling uh, insurance for a, a, an insurance company, auto insurance, uh, for a household named company, and I also happened to have been a customer of this same company for years. And I had a vehicle stolen one time. So I, when people are on the fence, not sure if they want to buy uh, this auto insurance, I would say, well, look, you know, I not only work for this company, but I've been a, a client, a customer. I've had to make claims. And they made good on the claims when I had a car stolen. See, that's a testimonial. That, I, that I'm giving them to try and get them to buy the policy. So there is nothing wrong with using a testimonial. You know, I, I thought I had cancer once, but, you know, the Lord gave me a peace of mind about it, and, and this and that happened, and I really feel like the Lord answered my, my prayers and, and helped to give me peace of mind to get me through that. You can do that. But you have to remember that Romans 1.16 says the gospel is God's power to save. Eventually, you have to get people into the gospel. And so make it personal and then conduct yourself in a way that respects the person asking. If somebody asks you why you have the hope that you have or why are you a Christian, remember you don't get very far if you just start screaming, oh, come on, this is so obvious, this is easy. It's not going to get you very far, you know, giving them the eye roll. You know, there are some questions that I get asked as a Christian that, quite frankly, I'm tired of. 
there's some issues that, that, that I just get tired of talking about all the time. But I have to remember that somebody who asks me a question, like, why don't you guys have a piano? Or why do you baptize? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Even though I may be tired of discussing this issue, I may be tired of the answer, this person is asking because they haven't heard the answer. And they're being respectful, and they're asking with genuine interest, I need to be respectful as I give them my answer uh, to their question. And then also let's remember to prepare to take the gospel by living a holy life. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Live a holy life. Be the exact opposite of what people have been taught to expect of Christians. To be, you know, they think we're self-righteous. They think that uh, we're a bunch of hypocrites, that sort of thing. Live an opposite life. Live a life uh, because a holy life is crucial to pleasing God and influencing others for Christ. Holiness sets us apart as a people who aren't relying on the world value system. And remember, the world value system changes. God's word never changes. And if we hang around uh, with people who, who, who uh, espouse the world's values and its lifestyles, and if we are living some of that ourselves, we're really telling people we don't have anything to live for that's of any value. You know, I had a relative once who didn't like to go to church, didn't have much use for it until later in his life, but he would go with his wife sometimes. And they lived in a small town, and he would look around and say, well, that person over there, I know that he's a crooked businessman. I know this guy over here who's supposed to be a deacon or an elder or whatever, and uh, I know how he treats his family. So why do I need to become a Christian? Well, how would you answer that? I see, I know the people that go to your church. I remember someone in the world talking. I see the people that go to your church. I know what they're like. So why do I need to become a Christian? If they're going to heaven and they're living no different than me, then why can't I go to heaven just as I am? Philippians chapter 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So we have to understand the need to be alert to the fact that Jesus will someday return. We have the challenge of taking to people the gospel. We have the challenge of, of talking to people who will reject truth and gather others uh, around them who tell them what they want to hear. Hey, it's all good. You're going to have Don't worry about it or, or whatever the, the message that they're getting. So are you willing to be used by God to overcome this? Are you willing to bring someone to the truth in Christ? Yes, it takes uh, a risk to talk to people about Jesus. They may get mad. On the other hand, they may listen, and you may win a soul. So thank you for – that's my lesson for this evening, uh, Stevie. We'll look at some more of this next time uh, in, uh, when I come back on the show. We'll be dealing with is there absolute truth? I want you to think about that. Is there truth uh, according to Scripture? Is there absolute truth that people need to obey? and need to pay attention to. We'll look at that next time. Thank you for being with us this evening. Thank you for having me on the show, Stevie. That's my lesson for this evening. We will talk to you next time. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Our hearts desires must face the winds of doubt. Expecting things from 
seek you first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Jesus, 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. I want to thank both our co-hosts, Brian Christian Coleman and Steve Cordell, for doing an outstanding job on this broadcast. Certainly appreciate their efforts. And my co-host, Ben McMillian, he answered our shout-out question. Certainly appreciate his efforts as well. I really appreciate everyone who participated on the show this evening. What a blessing it is to be able to hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word on a weekly basis. It's my prayer that these lessons this evening have been beneficial to your spiritual lives. And your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you not only tuned in to this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's Word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real, real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show. On behalf of my co-host, we really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. I know, Lord, I know the Lord, He'll take care, He'll take care, take care of me. Oh, yeah, yes, He, he will. will. I know the Lord, I know the Lord, He'll take care, He'll take care, take care of me. Oh, Call on you and you step in right on time. Oh, yeah. I know the Lord, Lord. he'll take care care. care of me. Oh, yeah. Lord, I'm trying (laughs) every day (laughs) to walk in the right way. Sure.
take care. I remember not long ago. She'll take care. When it seemed like I lost everything but my She'll mind. She'll take care. Oh, and a new friend. She'll take care. A friend I could call on. She'll take care. In a late midnight hour. She'll take care. So I called on the Lord. She'll take care. And let me tell you what I found out. I know the Lord. See, I know the Lord. He'll take care. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.